What brings a community together? Shared insights? Shared conversations? Welcome to Open Door by Cox Communities, tackling the big questions on the minds of smart community business leaders. Welcome back to Open Door by Cox Communities, where we're providing information for you to consider when making decisions for your multifamily communities. Discover the latest trends and technologies that are making some multifamily business owners stand out. I'm your host, Bess Friedman, CEO of Brown Harris Stevens. Today, we're discussing the future of the internet and the ways in which next generation technologies will revolutionize the ways we live and work. Joining me to talk all about this very exciting topic is futurist and head of trend and innovation scouting at Nokia, Leslie Shannon, and inventor and VP of new growth and development at Cox Communications, Josh Summer. Together, they are going to help us better understand what the future holds in store for us, from the spatial internet to Web3 and everything in between. Well, welcome, Josh and Leslie. So I'd like to begin our discussion today by setting the scene a little for our audience and defining some key terms for them. When it comes to the future of the internet, we often hear the term Web3. We hear that thrown around. And so I think it'd be important for us to start there. Explain to us what does that mean, Web3? Thank you, Bess. And maybe I'll start, Leslie. So Web3 really represents the next iteration, really, of the, the web or the internet. Uh, if the first generation of the web or Web1 is really about obtaining information, reading think billboards or just placards, posters, whatever it may where you absorb information. The second generation of the web or Web2 is really about interacting and essentially this concept of reading and writing and peer-to-peer and, -peer and, and being able to really interact with, with others. Then this next generation of the web, Web3, is about this idea of empowerment for the individual, where you can not only read, you can write, similar to the previous iterations, but now own. And you take that, and you, you the Web3 then becomes a future world vision of underpinned by a movement from centralized to this decentralized autonomous network that really allows for that to happen and really be empowering individuals to be able to interact with the things that's the the concept around Web three. I don't know, Leslie. Would you would you add anything there? There's another aspect to Web three, which is you talked about the ownership aspect, and that's kind of the thing that distinguishes Web two from Web three. But there's equally at the same time the trend away from a two dimensional web to a three dimensional web. So I'm a trend scout. So I I see new ideas and technology all the time. And I have to tell you that stuff doesn't actually become successful. It doesn't actually get used unless it solves a problem. Okay, so why does two dimensions to three dimensions, what problem could that possibly be solving? Well, the problem that we have right now that we don't really kind of acknowledge very much is the problem of screens. Right now, every time we want to interact with a computer, we have to look at a screen. We're doing yeah. it right now. We're looking at yeah. screens and looking at each other. Or we're doing the classic, you know, everybody's sitting around the table in a restaurant and everybody's looking down at their Very screen instead of looking at each other. 
Yeah. Right. And so there's social cost here. There's also physical cost. People like die crossing the street because they were looking at their screen. That actually literally happened tragically in my the parking lot of my grocery store. You know, I mean, just bad, bad stuff. And so the idea of taking our computing and taking the digital elements of the internet and integrating them with the physical world and having us able to access that computing, not from looking at a screen, but by having some kind of a head-mounted device and having digital information integrated with us as our eyes return to looking at the actual world instead of looking at a screen all the time. That's kind of the longer promise of Web3. And that's actually what starts leading us into the concepts of the metaverse. But what about the spatial internet or the metaverse? We hear that all the time. It's particularly, I hear metaverse all the time. What is that? Break that down for us. What does that mean exactly? Web3, and you, Leslie, you teed it up perfectly, right? So if Web3 is about these, these set of principles and the way that we're going to interact differently than the spatial internet and really the metaverse are just different ways to experience the web of the future, right? So the spatial internet is about this digitization of the physical. So experiences in the physical world will really create and utilize digital data and insights. So an example of like traffic management in a large city will be contextually aware and optimized for weather conditions and volumes of cars as you progress down the road. And pedestrian movement will have you then interact in a different way as you traverse all these thoroughfares around. And then manufacturing operations will be governed by autonomous robots and really capable of preventing defects and and adjusting themselves in real time to un unforeseen environmental changes. But really that blurring that Leslie was talking about around the physical and digital world is where experiences will be more immersive and contextual and spatially aware without requiring, you know, as much engagement as the screens of today require and primarily experience through AR, VR, as Leslie said. And then the metaverse is kind of the inverse of that. It's physicalizing now the digital right? Digital experiences will be even more immersive and lifelike. It's like in enjoying the live sights and sounds and smells of visiting like a historic site like Beijing's Forbidden City halfway around the world or attending a, a live World Cup final with 100 million of your best friends at an epic global party. It's really the way Cox has defined it is this, this metaverse is a network of virtual and immersive worlds, and it represents a convergence of both that physical and virtual environment where users are empowered to live, work, create, play, shop, interact, really anything with us, which I think is, is incredible. But there's a difference. There's very much a difference between those two concepts, and I think it's, it's important. The digitizing the physical and then the physicalizing the digital, which are the two constructs that's being those two elements that you just named, they're actually at kind of, they stand at opposite ends of a continuum. So at any point, like how sliding between how much are you present in the physical world and how much are you present, how much is digital information present with you? If you go all the way to fully digital, then, then you're in kind of a virtual reality situation where everything is digital and that's, that's a fully immersive experience. But the slider can stop kind of at any point in between this digital and the physical so how much digital information and stuff comes into your world, I personally think, now, I love virtual reality. I actually do all of my fitness in virtual reality. <laughs> and, and so- You really? You yes, do all your fitness that way? I do. And so I'm using virtual reality for at least an hour every single day. And so and I use, uh, there's an app that I love called VZ Fit. And it's got, there's a, a sensor that straps onto the pedal of my exercise bike here at home. 
And right. then they use Google Street Maps. So I'm riding my bike and the bike is keyed to the VR headset. And I'm riding down the street of any place in the world. This morning, I was cycling through central Sweden, for example. Um. <laughs> that, is, that is so cool. Is that is that more con- Are more people doing that? Yes. I don't hear a lot of They are. They okay. are. Yeah. Fitness is one of the things that's really picking up in VR. And studies have shown that you work out more in virtual reality because it kind of turns things into a game and you don't realize how hard you're exercising. But you're exercising a lot. I've I've lost like 20 pounds. You'd say virtual reality exercise. Like, yeah. So I really firmly, firmly, totally, totally love virtual reality. However, when you have that headset on, you are cut off completely from the physical world. So you're not going to do it all the time. You're not going to do it even unless you're doing it for fitness, you know, every day. It's like going to a movie theater. It's a great experience. It can transform your life, but you're not going to spend all your time there. Especially like for those of us who are moms, you know, at some point you got to take the headset off and go make dinner for everybody else. And so, yeah, so, exactly. But and so then that kind of bringing the digital world into our physical environment, that's where, OK, now, you know, I've got maybe perhaps the recipe that I'm making for dinner is appearing in a digital format on my glasses that are letting me see the kitchen counter and the onion as I'm chopping it. But, you know, I'm getting feedback on oh, for this recipe, you know, the onion should be a little chopped a little finer, you know, or whatever, the kind of, you know, assistance and information about your life as you conduct yourself in the physical world. So that's kind of the virtual reality stuff is here today. The stuff I'm talking about, the augmented reality, that's coming later. And they're kind those are kind of the two separate poles of the overall overarching metaverse. I assume you guys both think it's super important that we reinvent the internet, right? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's the getting away from the screen problem. It's reconnecting with the people and the places around us. We are too absorbed in our screens. And part of the reason is that because the information on our screens is spectacular. It's great. (laughs) So we need to break it out of our screens and get it more integrated back into the physical world so that we can reconnect with the physical world. All right. So now that we've outlined some key ideas, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about some of the pent up demand that customers have had and how their behaviors have been evolving over the past five years or so. So, Josh, what are some of your observations, some of your key observations? I think a lot has changed. We could all agree that the last three years have had serious, I'll call it core disruptions to American life that are that are shifting key motivations. I mean, it's been absolutely insane what we've had to, to deal with, right? So, I mean, if you think of the pandemic, there was significant risk and that risk needs to be managed and we must protect ourselves. And so we all of a sudden became very accountable, very aware of the threats and things that are happening around us, which on one side obviously was concerning, but it was also very empowering, right? The other side of it with with social unrest, there was this responsibility back to the point that Leslie keeps making, like we have this responsibility to connect with our communities and society and it's, it becomes important more so than just sit behind the screen, but actually being there, representing your ideals, finding people that are like-minded and really kind of coming together. And irrespective of what your beliefs is, but there's a responsibility to that society that, that's important. And then the economy and the economy just continues as we're all dealing with, right? But that's about reinvention. Reinvention is vital to survive, but the responsibility of that reinvention again resides with us. And so all of this is telling us kind of one loud message. And it's really like only you can prevent forest fires, right? Like 
maybe not right. not that right? but but you need you need to own your own destiny which is which i think is really empowering and i truly think that's the crux of what web3 really started to do it was people saying that look you know things are not being delivered to them in the way they want and we need a better internet and again take it to spatial metaverse web3 it's all kind of a similar construct with different kind of experiences that come from it but the trends we've been seeing is the physical world is becoming digital and we are becoming more comfortable with that there's this interest in building and bringing your own whatever right whether that's your own the application game it could be your own phone like whatever it may be you want to create your own it wants to be contextualized and personalized for yourself then the concerns about privacy and protection like we're tired back to that risk and threat concept like we're tired of people being in our world and using our information and things against us in certain ways and then the concept around like the engagement continues to grow well it's because the proliferation of screens just continue to take over our life i got a computer I got another tablet. I got a phone. I got my watch. Like it just continues. I'm going to have glasses soon. Like all of these things just continue to grow and they're taking over our life because of the engagement idea, right? And then the significant data exhaust that comes from all our digital activity. And then the things that we interact with all has data exhaust, right? And so it's just a lot of these trends are requiring some change. And it was only a matter of time until really a movement formed. And I think that's why like this is this is what's so exciting about it right now, which is exactly this next evolution of the internet. It's a web designed for and owned by individuals rather than an internet where you must hop onto your laptop and smartphone to go to or or an internet that will surround it's a, it's much more about an internet where that will surround you. And so it, today's webs websites for information, tomorrow's web is about spaces, people and assets really being linked together. And and that excites me. Leslie, when it comes to the metaverse or spatial internet, you have spoken and written about how they're all about the idea of presence and uniting a person with a location. Talk to us a little bit about this concept and what actual problems you think it can solve. Yeah, actually, Josh, just by mentioning like what went down with the whole COVID thing, that's a really significant driver here because a lot of us started working from home and have not gone back to the office. I'm actually one of those people, like my company allows me to work 100% of the time from home now. And that's great, but it's actually really, um, you know, I've been with a company forever, so I don't need any onboarding. But if I were a new employee, that would really stink because I would never, ever experience the corporate culture or feel that I was connected with my teammates. And so what we're seeing is some of these kind of metaverse spaces, and these are spaces, they're digital spaces. You do access them on a PC and they're created for companies. And I want to give a big shout out to Ernst & Young here because they're doing this and they actually took me through their space. And, I, and that made me, it kind of blew my mind and I realized, you know, the potential here. So, for example, so this the Ernst Young Metaverse team, they have a corporate metaverse. It's their private metaverse. And every day at the beginning of the day, they all meet in that metaverse space, which is just a screen on their laptop. And they all have an avatar. And if they want to, they can turn on their video camera and have their, their actual head video replacing the head of the avatar. But they just have a quick stand-up meeting and, you know, everybody goes around and says what they're working on that day. And then they all have desks in that avatar space. And so they walk their little avatar over to their desk. And so they're each standing at their desk. And then it's hooked into their calendars. So then they go and just do the rest of their normal work on their PC and just leave that metaverse window open. Then what happens is if, say, you know, Josh and I are in the same team 
And during the day, I've got a question I want to ask Josh. Instead of sending him an email or sending him a direct, direct message or something, I would cut over to the metaverse window and I would look and I would see if his avatar is visible at his desk. And if it is, that means he's not in a meeting. And so then I could walk my avatar over to his and say, hey, Josh, you know, did you know about the thing? Blah, blah, blah. What can you tell me about that? And then, and so we have a conversation and then any of the other avatars on the team who are also not in meetings, they have this opportunity to overhear that conversation. So what it's doing is it's actually recreating the office experience for remote teams. And it sounds, it's the kind of thing where it doesn't, there's so much in the metaverse where it sounds kind of weird until you actually experience it. And the problem that it's solving is the problem of generating a feeling of team, generating a feeling of togetherness, generating a feeling of a shared corporate culture on a daily basis for people who are working remotely or for teams who might just be scattered all over the world anyway. So it's that idea of bringing people together to be present with each other. You know, and so Zoom calls do that to a certain extent, but it does not. It, it's there have been studies shown that when we see an avatar, some kind of a, a body that we control, we identify with that body. And that's what happens when you're in this world, this three dimensional looking world on your computer screen. You identify with that little avatar body and then you identify the other people as belonging to those avatar bodies. And it's it's just an immensely stronger sense of being directly with those people than you get in a Zoom call. It's hard to imagine this. As you said, you have to experience it, I think, Leslie, but I do think it's it's potentially something really exciting for the future. But it's happening now. I've been to meetings and conferences and given presentations in these kind of arenas. And the thing is that it takes about 20 seconds before you forget that everybody's an avatar. You're just in a room with all these other people. Yeah. And it's 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 terrific. Really? I mean, it's intriguing to me. Well, I'm going to turn this to Josh for a second and ask, Josh, what are some of the exciting ways you think this new technology can be deployed in the multifamily space? Yeah. So I think if you think about the near term, what we are starting to see happen is Internet of Things basically taking these analog devices or these physical spaces and what I'll call starting to connect those environments in order to create intelligence. And so really allow for the things, the people to start to have a voice associated to their interactions and then being able to create this data that I think will ultimately drive new experiences. And so the other side of this that's happening is we're starting to see this spatial mapping. And so where the world has been historically mapped flat, right, as we all look at our GPS, like it's now becoming spatially mapped. And so this three-dimensional world, which is incredibly relevant in the multifamily space, is beginning to become much more prevalent. And so what we're finding is property owners and orient or managers are starting to digitize those environments really via those two vehicles, Internet of Things and the spatial mapping capability, and essentially are creating digital twins. And if you think about, like, imagine the benefits of nearly a complete digital replica of a building and its surroundings. Like it's a virtual model of the access roads, the walkways, the living spaces, the public spaces, and really all combined with real-time information feeds from those sensors that I was talking about, those, those analog devices that are now digital, and then other data sources. And then managers or owners then can visualize the impact of new construction modifications before knocking down walls or force first responders can run computer simulations to really prepare for emergency scenarios 
Like digital twins can help properties really better manage capacity, predict when maintenance is required, and really test new resident experiences, which I think is going to just absolutely revolutionize the industry. So you can even, you know, plan parking and transportation optimization, which is always one of the biggest complaints you hear residents talking about or prepare for flooding, which is, again, one of the most devastating things that are that happen. And so I think that what this new kind of spatial internet will really be able to bring is is these level of insights and this little planning that hopefully will get to a place where you're predicting things before they happen. And Josh, the things that you're describing, when you have a digital twin with all the complex systems represented, the real power is, you, is to be able to run what if scenarios, the kinds of things that you were that you were saying, so you can prepare for disasters. But there's also the ability. The shift from having like all this data that's coming off of sensors all the time anyway, and right now it's landing in spreadsheets and Edward would go like, okay, that's a lot of rows of data. <laughs> but if you make the shift to representing it visually, like for example, um, Wellington, New Zealand, the capital of New Zealand, they have created a digital twin of their entire city and they use that for city management. They have actually created, they've, it took them a decade to normalize all the data across all the systems that the city uses and to put them into the same database and then to be able to visualize how things work in the city. So for example, you know, it's really easy to see if the oceans rise by another foot, which parts of the city are the first affected, which buildings are the first affected. The head of uh, Wellington City Council told me, he said, being able to visualize these things changes the discussion from, I'm not sure there's a problem I don't think there's going to be a problem too. Okay, this is what the problem looks like. Now we have to figure out what to do about it and how we can prevent this from happening. So being able to shift from, is there a problem to let's solve the problem, that's gearing us for action and that's massively valuable. During the pandemic, we saw this increased use of virtual property tours. We saw people sign leases. I'm in New York City and we were shut down for three months. Real estate professionals couldn't show property. They had to do everything virtually. I mean, it created this whole new world. I mean, people never imagined that. I'm curious for both of you, what other things that you saw come out of the pandemic that sort of propelled the virtual technology and real estate? What other things do you see? I'm just going to, yeah, I was just going to say, does anybody really like talking to people? I don't know. Like, I, I think you're revealing a lot there, Josh. I know, I know, right? But the truth is, like, digital natives actually prefer to interact in most cases through digital means. That is how they interact. And, and what we've seen, especially with rendering and, and kind of digital imagery of virtual properties, it's improved so much to the point where subconsciously, like, we can't even really decipher the difference between this virtual. Um, and in reality, and this creates a trust, which I, didn't exist before. But other virtual technology that's really been accelerated in the pandemic was this live entertainment and social experiences began to go digital, right? So we all crave interaction and affiliation with each other. And so we started from a place of picking up FaceTime and having a happy hour with Leslie. You know, Leslie and I will talk about the future and, and everything. But then it became birthday parties. But we were all using the traditional me of communicating, but we wanted that video experience to actually see how people looked and how people were interacting. But then we started plugging into the metaverse for concerts. As there was that great example of, of in Fortnite where, and I forgot the name of the individual, but had a massive, massive you know, amount of people that came in and listened to It was to Travis Scott concert. and there was an Ariana Travis Grande Scott. one. Yeah, both of those were just fantastic, yeah. And so we found new ways to have more meaningful human connections in this in this digital world. And so 
why does that matter for real estate? Well, if you, your people are working from home and socially connecting at home, then spaces have really begun to be reimagined. And you have to think about how you support these new behaviors. And so it's, it's an interesting to think about, but we have changed. We now trust this digital presence. We, in some cases, in some segments, like prefer the digital communication. And, and we, have to, we have to be inclusive of really all of that. Would you say that there's new rules for uh, real estate in the digital world? First, before we get to rules, I'm just excited by the fact that we don't need the law of physics in the digital world. Like, right? <laughs> I know. That's so <laughs> magnificent. It's, it's, it's exciting. It's like, I want to live on a cloud where there's like no gravity and my ceiling is water and like, and why not? Right? Like, it sounds incredible. But I mean, like a little tongue in cheek, but in regards to rules, like I'm, I'm excited about the ability to have freedom. Right. Freedom to design, construct, live the way we want without permitting HOAs, building policies like just this idea of, of freedom, I think, is going to be a, a clear rule that will be in place that uh, I think will allow us flexibility to experience things in whole new ways. Yeah. And Leslie, I don't know if you want to add anything to that. At Nokia, we provide connectivity. And so one of the things that we saw a huge shift towards was better connectivity in residential areas where people needed to have good access for their home and their schools. So that really, that provision of fiber, that really picked up. But for tools for people serving the real estate industry, that really developed COVID too, because what we really saw happening was in a lot of cases, the people who were the experts, they tended to be older and did not want to put themselves at risk by going out into the world. And so we really saw a rise of enterprise-level augmented reality glasses. And this, this started with COVID and it's just taken off. Just, it's just going gangbusters, this particular area, where I'm going to a building to repair the elevator, say. But I'm pretty junior. Uh, I'm kind of young and I've got a really strong immune system. But that's why they're sending me out there. And I got the old guy who really knows everything. He's back at headquarters or perhaps at his own home. And so I go and I see the problem and I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do with this because I'm junior. And so what I can do is I can turn on my glasses and my glasses have forward facing cameras. And then that hooks into the expert and the expert sitting at home can see what I'm seeing. And then he can tell me and in some cases even indicate by drawing on his screen. And then I see the graphics pointing me towards where I need to go do something and then telling me what I need to do. So this expert seeing what I'm seeing in real time and communicating with me. And that meant, actually, so that was kind of the beginning, keeping the expert safe and keeping it home. But then once that actually developed, then being able to have one expert serve many junior people at the same time, it's like, oh, look, that's a more efficient use of our expert's time. And this idea um, has actually advanced. And in Finland, you know, Nokia is a Finnish company, so we're, I'm hooked into a lot of what's happening in Finland. There's a government agency there called VTT, VTT, and they are specifically tasked with looking at technological ways to help people, like to help the populace of Finland. And one of the concepts that they've been coming up with is the concept of using augmented reality to help people be super janitors. The problem they're trying to solve is the problem of attracting young people into the traditional trades, plumbers, electricians, elevator repair people, all of these worldwide. It's a problem that those practitioners are aging and the young people are not interested in going into those professions. What they think they can do is actually have a young person be the person who's in charge of all the systems in a building. And when there's a problem, they just put on the AR glasses and they connect to the expert. Today, it's the air conditioning system. Tomorrow, it's the plumbing. 
Obviously, if they need to do something like that you need accreditation for, okay, then you do get the plumber in. But they can be that first line of defense. And it's more interesting for them because they're actually interacting with lots of different systems in the building. So this concept of having more variety in your job with multiple experts supporting you from a distance, I think that's a really intriguing concept. And it'll be interesting to see if it takes off in Finland or indeed in the rest of the world. Josh, from a developer or owner perspective, why are these ideas and concepts so important? And what are some of the things they should be considering as they plan for future projects and uses? Yeah, so so I think they're critically important for a few reasons. First, I think there is a, obviously, a, a set of new generation that's coming up and they understand and they expect this level of interactions and technology. You obviously got to start to consider the wider connected environment in order to be able to deliver that. And we think of that really in in four kind of key concepts. There's the connectivity piece, which Leslie just hit on. It's critical to get it right. It should be ubiquitous. It should be constantly on. It should just, it should just work. You shouldn't ever have to worry about it. Then there's the infrastructure, right? And so on the infrastructure side of things, look, there are real systems and hardware and pipes that need to be created in order to be able to support these new applications and services that you want to build. And so it's real, right? There's still physical things that exist in order to be able to deliver this experience. The hope is that you no longer rely on kind of core centralized things, that it's much more distributed closer to where the compute is required in order to basically create low latency and better experiences. The third aspect of it, which we hit on a little bit, is just like, we just need things to be smarter. And so there's this intelligence fabric or intelligence layer that needs to be created. And ultimately, that is what's going to drive a lot of the insights, a lot of the personalization and contextualizing back to the spatial mapping. That is going to drive essentially what is the fourth layer, which is all those applications and experiences, which is the real things that are going to matter to your actual residents or your or, or in, anybody that comes in and experiences what you have. But generally speaking, if you do that, there's also the ability to take advantage of it yourself, right? So you can start to make better decisions. We talked about the digital twin a minute ago. And so there's operational efficiencies, there's cost savings, there's preparedness that you'll be able to go and get by being able to use these capabilities to deliver this. So it really impacts both sides. It impacts the owner and the manager, as well as then the residents. Before we wrap up here, I want to give each of you the opportunity to leave our audience with a final thought. And I'm going to go to you, Leslie. Is there one thing, if there was one thing you would want them to take away from this discussion, from our conversation, what would that be? Every time there's a significantly new technology that's introduced, we don't really discover the true potential of it, what it can really be for, what problems it can be, it can solve, until the experts in different fields start using the technology and discover how it solves the problems that they know deeply and intimately. I know the spatial internet and I know the metaverse. Frankly, I don't know the problems of multifamily dwelling management. And it's only when somebody who is a deep expert in that starts interacting with the technology, they'll go, oh, this solves problem X. And like, oh, I had no idea that existed. So the thing I would suggest to everyone listening to this podcast is get out there and get exposed to this technology. Learn what it is and start to, because it's only then by, and and it's hands-on, right? It's hands-on. 
only by exposing yourself to it are you going to understand what it is. And that's when you're going to understand how this can solve problems you have. And that's actually when we shift from just talking about this stuff to it genuinely being out there and changing how we interact with computing and how we solve the problems of our lives on a daily basis. Such a good point. Josh, is there one, I don't know, final thought, idea, something you would like the audience to take away from this conversation that we've had? First, exactly what Leslie said. So so just follow Leslie around and you'll learn a hell of a lot. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, you're beyond bicycles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, just how, how lucky, I mean, first off, Leslie, thank you. I mean, but how lucky are we to have you? And so thank you for joining us and thank you for, for helping us with this podcast. But, oh, it's my honor I mean, to be here. <laughs> she said it perfectly. Like the future of the web is absolutely unpredictable. Like there's a couple paths forming, but what's in front of us is not what's actually going to be what happens. And so hopefully today we, we get you a few paths that are forming and some, some behaviors that you want to pay attention through and really to power through this disruption got to keep that optionality open and consider that full stack of capabilities to deliver it and and invest in in that way and and as leslie has said just go experience the world scrape your knees and ultimately learn and learn alongside with everybody else so i think that's the key takeaway here is you know we got we give you a bunch of ideas but the reality is we can not predict what will happen we just can see what's in front of us and then we do the best to extrapolate from that and so keep your options open and invest in a balanced way, I think is the way people will be successful for the future. And and all of these things will ultimately impact the experiences we, we all get to enjoy. That's wisdom and great advice, Josh. Thank you so much. Well, thank you to both of you, to Josh and Leslie for this discussion today, for educating so many of us on these things that we're always questioning ourselves and we don't understand what it means. And I think you've helped a lot. So thank you both. Thanks again to Josh and Leslie for being on the show today and discussing the future of the internet and the exciting ways that technology will change our lives and work. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate and leave a review. Thanks again for listening. I'm Bess Friedman, and this has been Open Door, brought to you by Cox Communities.